0: Genesis 29. So um, I have a question. Has anyone heard of the Dole Men's Club? The Dole, (laughs) D-U-L-L, the Dole Men's Club. No, okay. Well, this 77-year-old retired attorney started it just a short while ago. And he had like 15 members and now it's just exploded and there's all these other dolmen clubs all over the place. His name is Carlson and he was interviewed and I read the interview about it. They're like, why'd you start this? He goes, the world is so crazy and chaotic and so hard to kind of figure out. He goes, I want to just get together with guys and celebrate the ordinary, like mowing your lawn, like shaving, like raking leaves, just dull things. Like, "Mm, okay i like, well, why don't you allow women in your dull men's club? He said, oh, women are way too exciting. <laughs> I just love that. Oh, no. Woo! <laughs> it wouldn't be dull anymore. <laughs> well, in chapter 29, it's not going to be too dull. We get women in here, and there's some very exciting things that happen. Romance, marriage, sin, chaos. Just pretty much typical Genesis. So... Genesis 29, let's go. Here's where we've been. Um, We are following now this promised seed that has been promised to Abraham. Abraham is passed off. The seed doesn't go through Ishmael. It goes through Isaac. Isaac has two sons. The older is Esau. The younger is Jacob. They're twins, not identical twins. Um, Again, the older is bypassed. The line goes through Jacob. And now Jacob has been thrust out by his dad, sent out with nothing. I think Isaac knew that that's what Jacob needs. Jacob, you just gotta get out there on your own and you gotta do it yourself. I can't help you. In fact, I'll hinder you if I try to help you. So he sends him off 550 miles away with nothing. Dude, you gotta figure it out. Trust God. And what we're gonna see is that happens to him over the course of a long time. Jacob, the schemer, the deceiver, the one that heals snatch, the one that wants to grab it for his own has to finally learn to rely on God. That Isaac, his wisdom pays off and Jacob figures it out, all right? So we're in the middle of this journey. He's been sent off. We had Bethel in chapter 28 where God appears to him in a dream at his lowest point in life. And then we pick it up now in verse one. I call this little section, Jacob finds his heart. Like the wizard of Oz, the lion. He finally starts to, he's out on his own now. He starts to figure it out. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the East. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, plural, would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. So Jacob leaves Bethel, and in verse one, it says this, Jacob went on his journey. That's the way my translation puts it. The Hebrew is literally this. Jacob had light feet, or Jacob had a spring in his step, or Jacob, you could say, had happy feet. Now, why did he have happy feet? Chapter 28, right? At the darkest, deepest, worst point in his life when he thought God would have hated him and been angry with him and cut him off because of his deception and his five lives and all that stuff, God appears and makes this promise. Jake, I'm gonna be with you. I'll protect you. I'll get you where you need to be. And I'm going to give you this land that you're on. Of course, he's gonna have a step in his, a spring in his step, right? He's been slammed with God's grace. And when he gets slammed with God's grace, he sets off on his mission with happy feet. I love that. Have you ever been slammed by God's grace? I think if you've been slammed by God's grace, inevitably, verse one happens to you. You head down your road with happy, happy feet. It happened to me. So the church culture that I grew up in, in the way that I saw it as a kid, the portrait of God that was painted for me from zero to 18 was this. God was like Santa Claus. He was making a list, checking it twice. And I knew that I was naughty and not nice. So I knew I'm getting a lump of coal Things are bad. And because of that, I kind of ran from God. And it wasn't until I encountered grace, was slammed by God's grace, that all that stuff turned for me. And I quit my job as an engineer, went to the school of ministry, went on the mission field in Vanuatu, became an elder at Applegate, went on staff there, started Edgewater Christian Fellowship. When? When I finally encountered God's grace. What's gonna change Jacob? It's not rules and regulations, it's God's grace. And we're seeing that right here, springing his step, heading on his way because he encountered God's grace. When one of my favorite verses on this that I take people to all the time that are struggling with sin or stuff, I almost always take them to Titus chapter two. Listen to this. It's a fantastic little verse. You should memorize it. You should have it circled. Brilliant. 2 Timothy Titus chapter two, listen to this verse 11. You gotta pay real good attention to this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. What's appeared? The grace of God. That's the subject now. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What trains us? Right. God's grace has appeared and it trains us to do what? Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's not grit your teeth. It is... When you encounter God's grace, it is the thing that continually, beautifully shapes your life so that those things just fade away. You found Treasure Island and you don't wanna go back. That's what God's grace does. And right here, you see just a little hint of this in Jacob. He hit God's grace in chapter 28 and now he's just springing a step. Yeah, all right. And he shows up at this well. Notice how often Genesis is shaped around a well. And you know why, right? In the desert, water is the most important thing, right? It is without water, you die. So it'd be like today, like we're gonna go everywhere where there's gonna be Wi-Fi because without Wi-Fi, we'll die, right? It's that, this is a hotspot. This is where we're gonna be. We've gotta go right there. Well, here, wells are always the center. You could not have life without well. So there's this well here and it's covered. No one knows why it's covered. Could be to control things. That whoever owned this well, put a big rock on it. So only the people that were allowed could drink out of it. Could be to protect it. That you didn't want junk getting in there. So you'd put a rock on it that would protect it. Um, could be so that everyone shared equally. It says it took shepherds, plural, to open it up. So you'd have to wait for a certain number of shepherds to get there. And everybody know how much water you're getting. So it could be to share the water well. No one knows for sure, but Jacob shows up at this place. There's these three flocks there, at least three shepherds, maybe more. And he starts this conversation with them. Notice how short they are with him, right? He's all excited. And they're like, you know, almost one word answers. It's much shorter in the Hebrew. It's just, it's real abrupt, right? Do you know Laban? They're like, yeah, Whew. <laughs> They're not like, oh yeah, we love that guy. They're like, yeah, we know him. Wish we didn't. Is it well with him? Sadly it is. Yeah, it is well, right? So these real kind of short little answers. And then notice what Jacob does. Verse seven, behold, it's still high day. It's not time for livestock to be gathered together. Water your sheep and go pasture them. What did Jacob just say to these guys? Get back to work. I mean, he's a foreigner in this foreign land, shows up to these shepherds who are like hanging out. He's like, dude, you guys need to get to work. I mean, you just think about the audacity of Jacob right here. I'm surprised they didn't just like, okay, dude, we're throwing you in the well. That's what we're gonna do with you, right? It's just so funny. (laughs) It just cracked me up. I guess it was more funny to me. (laughs) I've learned this, especially in foreign cultures, to watch a lot more, then talk. Like just, oh, okay. You might do this differently. So I'm going to watch you and try to figure out, oh, why do you do it that way? Before I start saying, hey, do it my way. You should be out doing that right now. I, I, there's only one time where I didn't do this. And it was because I thought someone's going to die. So I lived in Vanuatu for a year and there was this massive tree, just this jungle tree. It was probably 40 inches, something in that range, just big, massive tree. And, and it was very close to Dave Corson's house. So Dave wanted it cut down. So he had like 20 students and the students were like, yeah, we'll cut it down for you. And they, they're chopping it down with little machetes. They're not little, but you know, machetes. You're like, wow, that's funny. So I'm watching them like do this. And, I'm, and my hut was over here. If it fell wrong, I'm done too. So I was a little bit like, hmm, how are you guys gonna do this? And normally you like, if you cut down a tree, you do a face cut in it. And then you start from the backside. So it falls away from you. That's a real key. Like, don't, don't cut it so it falls on you. Cut it so it falls away from you. So they just start cutting. I think they're cutting a face cut in it. No. They just start cutting a two feet wide, just going straight into that thing. And they got to about 30 inches. So now there's just 12 inches of this massive tree. And, and now they're still, one of the guys is standing inside of it, hitting. And I'm like, listen, I can't watch this. If this thing comes down, you're like a grape, dude. You're done. Like, haven't you guys ever heard of a fate, you know? And they're like, hmm, that's interesting that you would say that now because it's a little late. So then they keep going and they get to like 36 inches and I'm just like, ah, dude, someone's gonna die. So finally I like convinced them not to do that anymore. And so like, well, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. So they sent the smallest guy up with a rope and he tied it at the top. And I'm just like, oh, it's gonna fall with him up there. He's dead. Somehow he got up there, got the rope on and then they pulled it over. I went to the town, I just got a doctor. I'm like, we just need a doctor. Just come out right now. Someone's going to die. It's the only time I've been like, I've not done that rule. But normally I think it's real wisdom. If you're in a different culture, just be like, okay, show me how you do it. Not Jacob. Jacob now underneath, out of the shadow of Esau, out of the shadow of his dad, now is like the boss man. I'm going to tell you what to do. Get to work. All right. So, so that happens And I think the shepherds were probably like, oh, I can't wait till you go see Laban. You guys deserve each other, right? (laughs) You really deserve each other. So now the plot thickens while he was still speaking with them. It doesn't tell us what they said at this point. I think the Bible's being nice here because I think the shepherds are like, listen, buddy. Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess, which is rare. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and I love this, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone. So here's what Jacob just saw. Beautiful girl and a bunch of sheep. Guess what that means? She's got cash, beautiful and wealthy. It'd be like us seeing a beautiful girl in a Ferrari. Ha ha, ha. That's what he just saw. So what does he do? He's like, oh, <laughs> rolls the stone by himself from the well's mouth, waters the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. How funny. Rachel, the name means you lamb right? Lammy. So you have Lammy shows up with her lambs. Jake sees her. She's hot. He turns into Superman, right? This rock that normally multiple shepherds would have to move, Jacob just goes up to it and just tosses it aside. It's like when a mom sees her baby underneath a car, she gets like superhuman strength. Jacob gets superhuman strength from beautiful women. He's like, ah, I will throw this thing. Waters the sheep, grabs Rachel, kisses her. And now you're kind of like, wow, Jacob, I'm kind of liking you. And then he cries. You're like, oh, dude, (laughs) you just blew it, man. (laughs) You just blew it. (laughs) You should have just stuck with the kiss and that's it. (laughs) So awesome. This is the only time in the Bible where a man kisses a woman who's not his wife. And it has to be Jacob, right? So you're just like, dude, this fits you to a T. I wonder, like, what was Rachel's first impression of this guy? Like, she watches him move this rock, like, ooh, that's awesome. Watches him water her entire flock. She's like, oh, that's really great. Comes up, grabs her, kisses her. Hmm, that's interesting. And then cries. Uh, no, sorry. (laughs) I thought we might work, but no, we're not going to work now. (laughs) It's just, it's great. So then he tells her, hey, we're cousins. Kissing cousins, apparently, to be exact. So for cousins. What are we supposed to see right here in these first 12 verses? You have God appear in Bethel and tell Jacob, hey, I'm with you, I'm gonna guide you, I'm gonna do all this stuff for you. So what are we learning now in these verses? Jacob, without GPS, without a map, never been on this journey before, he happens to come to this well, And that well happens to be near Haran where he's headed. And at this well, while he's standing there, he happens to meet some shepherds that happen to know Laban, the guy he's looking for. And while he's standing there talking to them, actually telling them to get back to work, all of a sudden, Rachel, Laban's daughter, just happens to show up and probably saves Jacob's life because they're like, dude, we're gonna take you out. Then he moves the rock. They're like, no, maybe we won't. You look pretty strong actually, right? Right? What are we learning right here? God is actively guiding Jacob. This is not coincidence. I'm making these things happen. This is not happen chance. I'm doing it. Coincidence, it's been said, is God's way of remaining anonymous. And I think as believers, we should as often as possible take out the anonymous and be saying, no, that was God. This doesn't add up all these coincidences. This is God. Because it can be really, really impacting to people. I remember I took a group of 26 high schoolers with Mike Wright down to Bay of the Angels. It's like 10 hours south of the border in Mexico on the Sea of Cortez side. And we're driving down there and it's been a long, you just drive for, we drove for 24 hours straight. So we're driving and we're now probably three or four hours South of Tijuana. When the trailer that we're pulling, the wheel just comes off of it, which is a bummer. So we get out there and everyone's like, hey, you're an engineer, you can fix this. I'm like, I'm not a mechanic, I'm an engineer. But of course it became my job. So I'm like, well, it's really bad. Like the spindle was, it was just, it was toast. And the thing was made in Illinois. So I'm like listen, I, we just gotta, we gotta take everything out of this trailer, put it into the van and go. And Mike's like, no, nah, that just won't work, man. We can't, this is our trailer. We can't do that. So I'm like, okay. So we take it all off and we start driving back into town and we're stopping like every place we think might have something. And we stop at this one place and this guy's like, here, this will work. I'm like, that looks like a Mustang two front end. Cause I had a Mustang two, and I changed a lot of tires on that thing. That's a Mustang two front end. He's like, it actually is, yeah. I'm like, that won't work. So we just go and go and go. And we finally get back to Tijuana. And it's like 4.50, things are shutting down. We go to this little, um, it's a, just an auto parts place, just on the happen chance they might have something. They're like, no way. But the, the guy just said, you know there's a boat shop that might have something. I'm like, a boat shop? Okay. So we pull up this boat shop right as they're pulling the gate shut. We're like, hey, do you have something? And we come in there and we sh- I just, I have a pile of parts. I'm like, do you have anything like this? And the guy's like, you know, We just brought in a brand new boat today. I think it has something like that. We go to this new boat that had just got there that day. On the front of it is bolted on the entire assembly that we needed. I could not believe it. And then here was the best news. I said, how much will we sell it for? And he could have charged us 500 bucks. We would have paid it. He's like 50 bucks. I felt like Jacob just kissing him. Come here, I wanna kiss you. (laughs) All right. So we took it back, put it on. And man, for the rest of that trip, we're like, listen, God is guiding us, that is not a coincidence. To have all those things line up so that you and I could come down to bay of the angels. That's how much God loves you guys. We need to be those that call the coincidence, coincidences is what they are, God's hand in our life. So we see God now guiding Jacob. The Bethel promises are happening without God saying they're happening, but you see it and you can call it. God, you're doing something, right? So now we get to what I call the deal. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh more than he could imagine they are identical they're the same person <laughs> and he stayed with him a month then laban said to jacob because you are my kinsman should you therefore serve me for nothing tell me what shall your wages be now laban had two daughters the name of the older was leah and the name of the younger was rachel Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. This is 30 days in. (laughs) Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him, but a few days because of the love that he had for her. The deal. Jacob, love at first sight, right? He loves Rachel. Husbands, do you remember the first time you saw your wife? Your future wife? How'd you feel? I remember, and I had actually known Charity quite a long time. Uh, We have a picture where I'm eight and she's four, but she was always Clyde's little brother. (laughs) She was always Clyde's little sister. And so it was like, oh, you know, she's almost five years younger than me. It was like, ah, charity's. But then I went to college. She graduated, went down to California. And then she came back and I remember the exact moment. I was on this dirt little road on Annabelle Lane, right next to her father's house, Brian on Annabelle Lane. And I was getting out of my truck and she pulled up in a nice white Acura and it was her and her sister and she got out and I just went, Ha, ah, oh my goodness. She's not Clyde's little sister anymore. Who is that person? I wanted to go up move a rock and kiss her right then. (laughs) Strike a deal with Brian. Seven years, I'll do it. Done, all right? I think there should be a little bit of that in all of us for our wives. And the names are interesting here. I didn't go into this on Sunday. Rachel means lammy. You know what Leah means? Wild cow. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I don't know if her eyes were something. They're like that. Looks like a wild cow. That's her name. Okay, <laughs> it's just crazy. I mean, talk about disadvantaged girl, Lammy and Wild Cow. <laughs> like you don't even have to look at him to know what something's up right there. Oh, this is our beautiful daughter Lammy, and this is our daughter Beth, Buffalo. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. Good. So you can see the th- things are set up right here. So. Laban's like, hey, you've been here a while. You're a good worker. You're kind of type A. You were type A with those shepherds, right? Get back to work. What are you doing? Lazing out. I could use a man like you. So Jacob then says, I'll serve seven years to marry that girl. Men, would you do that for your wife? That's a long, long time. In fact, most commentary say this, that a man would serve one year, maximum three years for a wife. So what Jacob is doing right here is he's putting a giant rock on her finger. She's worth it. I'll serve seven times what a normal person would serve, right? So Laban's like, "Mm, okay. But what does he actually say when they make the deal, right? Read verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. What did he say right there? Right? Laban is keeping all of his options open. He's kind of, he's like, you're a good dude. You know, you're upright and you're bipedal. Um, you have a heartbeat. Yeah. Okay, stay with me. He doesn't really tell Jacob it's a deal, but what is Jacob here? Deal, okay, I'm serving, man, seven years. You know what this is called? There's a psychological name for this. It's called a confirmation bias, and every person has it. We hear what we want to hear, not necessarily what a person says. So we all have this bias in us and we are collecting more information to back up our bias. Everybody does it. It's why Craigslist scams still work. It's why the Nigerian scams keep people still fall for it. Why? Because we hear what we want. Oh, I can get a billion dollars if I send you a thousand? Done. And what most of us need in life is what the proverb says. Proverbs says there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, because we all have a confirmation bias. We need someone else to say, bro, that's not right. That deal is not right, dude, you're getting ripped off. No, no, I'm sure it's right. I talked to him, I trust this guy. Dude, you're getting ripped off. We all need someone else to come and tell us, hey, I don't think so. And we have to be really careful about the confirmation bias when it comes to other people. Because typically, what happens with us is we will peg a person as a something, and then what we do is we actually start to filter out, and they've actually found this to be true. We filter out any information that goes against what we think that person is, and then we just add into the folder all the information that backs up what we believe about that person. Usually, it's negative. But if we are informed by the gospel in our life, we should never do that. Because we want people to say, hey, Matt, you've changed. Hey, you're not who you used to be. Hey, you're moving forward. You're being sanctified. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. I see that in you. We should offer the same thing to other people. And we need to be very careful about this confirmation bias in us because Jacob has it right here. He hears what he wants to hear, but Laban never actually tells him, okay, it's a deal. And Laban's gonna use that. So now for seven years, he serves Laban That is a long engagement period, is it not? Super long. So Jacob, I'm sure, was kept very busy by Laban out with the sheep. You stay out with the sheep because seven years is a long time. We gotta be careful with long engagement periods. I don't like them. They have this thing that I think maybe America should adopt, but it's a Welsh tradition. When a man was pursuing a woman, they would have him, they're called love spoons. Have Anybody heard of a love spoon? You can just Google it. A love spoon is this thing that when a man was pursuing a woman, when he was with that woman, he would have his thing there and he'd be carving his love spoon. Now, why would he be doing that? And we all know why. His hands were busy doing something. Okay, Ah! (laughs) right? And it was really the skill by which that spoon looked and how they were actually judged by, oh, that's a terrible spoon, dude. You're out of here. You didn't spend enough time on it. I think that's awesome. with $3, I think it's awesome. I'm going to have them not do a spoon. I'm going to have them do a life-size size replica of my Volkswagen bus. Get busy, bud. You got some work to do before you get my girl. Keep busy. If you are engaged, be careful. Be careful. So here, verse 21, we now dive into the dilemma. And I just call this reverberations. So how... Jacob has lived, kicked up a wave that now is crashing back on him. And how we live, there's always reverberations. You will reap what you sow. It is the way the world works. You will reap what you sow eventually. It might be seven years later, it might be a long time later, but eventually we'll reap what we sow. And we see this happen right now to Jacob. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Seven years. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? I wonder, as he just said those words, if he was like, hmm, (laughs) uh uh-oh, Laban said, it is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah, These are great names for daughters, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Hmm. Sunday, I said verse 21 is really, really blunt and graphic. It's out of the ordinary for Hebrew prose. It's Jacob just full of passion. Hey, give me my wife. I want to have sex with her. You know what this tells me? They waited, right? That's what it tells me. There's, there's, there's the good news. They waited. I do weddings from time to time. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am that I can tell when the groom and the bride have waited. It's how long they hang out at the reception. (laughs) I'm dead serious, man. You see the groom who's just like, no more pictures, we're going. Stop it, get out of my face. You're like, okay, dude, you waited, man. (laughs) Now the guy's like, oh great. (laughs) Right here, they waited. And I've got studies that just show there is something that happens when a couple waits. Love is patient. That there's just, it's beautiful. And I think, verse 21, there should be this for a husband and a wife. There should be a really deep physical attraction that a man has for his wife. So Jacob positively has that. And I always chuckle when I'll meet with a couple that want me to do their wedding and then I'll find out they're, they're living together. And the, the guy, the, the potential, the, the man will say, oh, but we're not sleeping together. I always just say, really? Dude, then you got bigger problems than I can deal with. You can even see a doctor. Because there's no way if I'm living in the same house with my fiance that, I uh, you gotta be kidding me. Dude, you got big problems. Go to a doctor. You got low testosterone, I don't know what it is, but you got a problem. I mean, give me a break. There should be a longing for each other physically. So he has it, but then there's this switch. And I've always thought like, what, what was Rachel thinking in this? Look at what my dad is doing. He's taking my future husband and he's doing this spin show with him. I mean, where is she at in this? Tied up in a tent? I mean, it, this is like, this is a crazy, crazy story. And then Laban does this to Jacob. Jacob is just red hot, marches out of the bed early in the morning, throws on his robe, marches into Laban. Look, look what you've done to me. And then this is what Laban says. It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Imagine you're Jacob, firstborn. Younger, reversal, deceived. What is he thinking right here? He goes from this red hot, just unbelievable anger. And then in a moment, he's just like, oh. And so Jacob did so. Because he was convicted of the heart. Oh, this is exactly what I did. I deceived. I switched the younger for the older. This is reverberations of what happened to me. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, head down, gets to work. All right, I deserve this. I wonder personally if Laban sent a spy back to Esau. Hey, what happened? Why is Jacob over here? And when he heard the whole story, he's like, brilliant. I don't know if this, no one can figure out if this is actually a cultural norm at this time. I think Laban made it up. He's like, oh, watch me work this dude. (laughs) I got him now, right? And, And cultures all have crazy stuff in them, no doubt. Whenever you travel, you always like encounter like, whoa, that's weird. So it's possible. I'll tell you the weirdest thing that um, I was involved with was in Vanuatu where they do this thing called drinking kava. And the way that they make kava in a tribal village is they take this big pot, all these little boys, they cut these roots, the kava roots. They hand a root to each one of these boys. The boys start chewing the roots, When they chew it all up, they spit it into this pot. And when they filled up the pot, they cover it with a stone, wait two weeks, and then guess what you do with it? You drink it. It's a prized drink. So if you are a visitor to a tribal village, part of culture is you sit down with the chief and you drink some kava. It's so awesome. The best Trick, I've, the best deceit and trick I've ever seen was Dave Corson with his little brother, Jimmy Corson. So Dave has been living in Vanuatu for a while. He's visited this, kid, this tribal village, this chief. They're good friends. So he takes Jimmy to go visit the chief and they go to this thing. And, and Jimmy kind of knows, okay, I got to drink that stuff. I get it, all right, no problem. So he's just thinking, I'll just down it. And so he goes there and they sit down and there's the big feast and all this stuff is happening. And then he said, he saw this little boy come out with the biggest thing of kava he'd ever seen. It was like a big gulp, but big gross instead. And, he was, and, and, he kinda, and he's like, oh, it must be for the chief. That's gotta be for the chief. And, and the boy kind of goes by the chief and then goes right by Dave and then comes right in front of him and just sets it in front of him. And Dave's just like, or Jimmy's just like, oh. And he notices that the chief doesn't have any and Dave doesn't have any. So he leans over, he's like, Dave, what's the deal here? Why do I have this giant thing of kava? And Dave said, well, I told the chief that since we've drank kava before together, we don't need to. Let's give it all to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. He just said, he just had to close his eyes and just look to the sky. Ah, you know, oh man. So it's possible that this is a custom, but no one can find it. I think Laban is just a unbelievably good deceiver, just works Jacob. Jacob has met his match in this guy and he's heard word of what had happened to Jacob and now he turned the tables on him. And Jacob comes out so mad because we see our sins best in other people. The reason why he's red hot is because he's a deceiver and a schemer and now he has just been beat at the game of deceit and scheming and he's ticked. We see our sins best in others. So it ends better. Verse 31, when Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, behold, Yahweh, has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, because Yahweh has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon or here. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which sounds very close to attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, I will praise Yahweh. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. So 14 years goes by. Jacob's learning. And here's the big lessons from this chapter. Number one, Jacob's learning that just because God promises stuff at Bethel, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna give you this land as an inheritance. You're gonna have kids. The promise he's gonna go through you. Just because God makes these promises doesn't mean life will be easy. And we need to learn that lesson as well. Yeah, we've got great promises, but those promises don't mean Life is going to be easy. We can have happy feet, but still walk on a hard road. He's got happy feet, but he's walking into a very, very hard road. And I tell people this, I follow Jesus, not because it's easy or comfortable or it's cool or to get money or to get a girl. I follow Jesus because it's true. And that's what carries me through difficult roads, and inconvenient times and hard, hard days. It's true, period. And Jacob's learning that. Okay, God, I know you're true. Bethel happened to me. And even though this is weird and hard, and I'm being deceived and the reverberations of my life are coming back on me, it doesn't matter. I still follow you. Number two, Jacob's learning this. All of his schemes are failing. He schemed to marry Rachel. It's tricked into Leah. He's scheming to raise a family through Rachel, and she's barren, and the wife that he doesn't like is having kids. All of his schemes are failing. And he's learning this lesson. It's Psalm 127:1. One. Unless Yahweh builds the house, the laborers work in vain. Unless God establishes the works of our hands, our labor is in vain. So all of Jacob's life, he's been a schemer and deceiver and heel snatcher. And now he's learning, that's not gonna build my house. I have to trust God is. And thirdly, we learned that Leah wins. In this chapter, when you look at it, there's a bunch of losing There's one person that wins. And I think husbands, you can actually look at the three sons that Leah has. And I think she very well expresses the deepest needs of a wife. Number one, the first son, behold a son, Reuben. She goes, now I'm going to be loved. That's the number one need of a wife to know she's loved. It's Ephesians chapter five, verse 32. Husbands, love, love your wives that's number 1 then number 2 she conceives she has a son called Simeon and Simeon means shema or here listen i tell husbands all the time dude it's a freebie when you go home and i know you've been at work for 8 hours or 9 hours or whatever and your wife has all this stuff pent up listen it's a freebie. Just be like, uh-huh, okay, that's awesome. All right. Just nod your head. Just listen. It's that important to her. It's James chapter one, verse 19. It's almost always the first thing I do in marriage counseling. I just go to James 1, 19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay, you're getting all frustrated and mad. You know why? Because you're being slow to listen and quick to speak. And that's fast to anger. Reverse those. Listen well to your wife. And I always tell men this, because of your confirmation bias, because you're hearing what you wanna hear, here's what you need to do after your wife has spoken. You need to say, honey, I think you've said this. Because it allows your wife then to say, what, I didn't say that. Oh, what did you say? Oh, okay, right? They wanna be listened to. Everybody wants to be listened to. We wanna be listened to, listen. And then lastly, Levi means attached. A wife wants to know, it's you and me, we're linked forever. The two have become one. The word in the Old Testament that's used for this is called dode. It's often translated love, but literally it means this, the intermingling of two souls. It's it's you and me, we're intermingled, we're inseparable, we are linked together. When a woman knows that about her husband, it protects her and establishes it's brilliant and beautiful. I think she gives, like, I almost did the message on that. Right there, those two things. Those things, love, listen, and linked, right? She wins, but she doesn't get any of those things, does she? As a wife, she is O for three. But then you have this brilliant verse, verse 35. She conceived again bore a son and said, this time I will praise Yahweh. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which means praise, and she ceased bearing. She decides, I can't control my husband, can't make him love me, can't make him listen to me, can't make him attach to me. Instead, I'm going to praise Yahweh, and she's set free. She's cease bearing. I'm not laboring anymore. I'm not trying that anymore. I'm done with that. I'm ceasing from that. And now I'm gonna praise. And I wonder personally, like when I thought this through, like what does praise mean to Leah? Was she singing songs like we sing? I don't think so. You no, know, praise can be singing songs, but these words are always so much bigger than we've made them. We always like narrow them down so they'll fit in on a Sunday. That's almost what we always have to do to things. We gotta narrow it down. How do we fit that in on Sunday? So that's what praise has become. But praise is bigger than that. I think praise is this for Leah. It's what Augustine said. He said this. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. What she's saying in this is, I can't get it from Jacob Can't get it from sons. I've done everything the world says a good wife would do and it hasn't done it for me. So I'm gonna find my rest in you. It's what I believe the New Testament calls the breastplate of righteousness. That when you finally realize my identity is not wrapped up in how good of a husband or wife I am or how many kids I have or how good of a parent I have or all these other things. When I finally realize my identity is not wrapped up in that, it's wrapped up in the righteousness that's given to me, by Jesus. Your heart, your breast is protected, the seat of your emotions. You're not, you're not up and down anymore. You're, you're protected. It's brilliant. And there is a little text, I'm gonna read it real quick, that I think explains this better than any other. And it's found in the Song of Solomon. Listen to this, it's amazing the transformation that happened to this woman because she gets it. So I'll read it for you, it's chapter one, you can just listen. This is the woman speaking. Verse six, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. Back at this time, if you were really tan, it meant you were a low caste worker in the field. So she is now saying, I'm just the low caste. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. I'm so busy working for everybody else and making them happy. I've had no time for me. Haven't had time to go to the gym. I'm feeling flabby. Haven't had my nails done, my hair done. I'm just, oh, I feel and look ugly. That's chapter one. Her same voice shows up again. Chapter two, verse one, listen to this. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Very different, huh? Don't look at me, I'm all this stuff. To all of a sudden, chapter two, verse one, I'm a rose, I'm beautiful. What happened to her? Her shepherd king, it's Solomon, shows up. This is what he says to her. Verse eight, if you do not know Oh, most beautiful among women. Follow in the tracks of the flock. Pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. So you're a beautiful horse. Worked back then? Probably be careful with that one today. I wouldn't use it. (laughs) You look like a horse, honey. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with a string of jewels. And he just goes on and on. My beloved. And then she says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. In fact, in chapter 10, you have this same shepherd king going down his wife part by part by part. You can read that if you want to, just saying how beautiful she was. Now I wouldn't use any of those because in one he says, he says this, he goes, your belly is like a heap of wheat. I don't think you should ever compare a woman's belly to a heap of anything. So you can learn from the idea, but just don't like actually use his his terms. They're culturally good but not for us. This woman's identity is transformed because her shepherd king speaks into her beauty and life. Okay, we have a greater than Solomon, our own shepherd king, who looks at all of us and says, "You're not Leah." you're Rachel. You are beautiful in form and appearance. I am ravished with you. When you get that, you are bulletproof. The opinions of people no longer have the ability to crush your heart like they used to because you know my shepherd king loves me and says I'm beautiful. And it transforms the way you go about life. And I think that's what Leah found. Her praise was, My heart's been restless, but now it's found its rest in you and I'm bulletproof. I don't have to labor anymore, right? Which reminds me of what Jesus says to all of us. Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, who are burdened, who are laboring, and I will give you rest unto your soul. The deepest, most important part of us, I'm restful, bulletproof. That's what I love about this chapter. So Jesus, may each of us win this night. For those of us that are caught in this cultural, human tendency to be trying to squeeze people For love, for listening, for attachment. And we found ourselves laboring and heavy and weary. I pray that you, our shepherd king, would speak into our hearts this night, and that we would know that you say the same things that Solomon said to his bride. You're beautiful. I love you, you're the choicest of horses, you're perfect. May we hear that and may that grace satisfy our soul. Bring us that true rest that allows us to live in shalom, that allows us, it is your grace that trains us to say no to those other things because we've already found our satisfaction. We're full on you and the temptations of this world have lost their power. So may each of us, Lord, may we have seen a little of your grace this night. And may we each be trained to say no to the junk and yes to you, the bread of life. So go with us. Be with us. Protect us. Guide us. Bless us because you love us. We pray this in your name, amen.